What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. Ho, 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 baby. Oh, my gosh. What is up, Buffalo Fanatics? Z-Bot here with you. Monday night live on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel. And that, of course, can only mean one thing. It is the smoke break. Thank you so much for willing into the YouTube channel that is the Buffalo Fanatics tonight. Thank you so much for finding it within you to talk about that game yesterday. Because as you can see by my body language right now, this is going to be one of those ones that hurts. It hasn't, the, the sting hasn't relieved itself from my body in the last 24 plus hours. And regurgitating what we witnessed yesterday with you live here is going to sting even more so I'm sure but of course if you're like me and this is why we do this you come in here on a Monday night to celebrate when things are good and you come in here on a Monday night for a therapy session when things are bad and right now things are not very good in the land of the Buffalo Bills and a season that started off in a way where I thought I wouldn't be coming on here at all this year, feeling this way all of a sudden based on the last six quarters of football, our demeanor, I think in general throughout the mafia here uh, has changed dramatically. It seems like the wind has been sucked out of the sails a little bit, but Hey, it's one game. Of course, we got to talk about it tonight. And then with that, you know, being out of the way. Once we're done here tonight, we got to put it in the rear view because we don't have any time to dilly-dally here. We don't have any time to dwell on the past. We have a 7-1 and one Minnesota Vikings team making their way into town this coming week in a game that I think earlier on in the in the schedule here, you, you would have looked at it and said, hey, no, no problem, no, you know, nothing to worry about. Then, of course, they look at their season currently. They're on a six-game win streak. They're the only team in the NFC with one loss, second place behind the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. That game's going to be no joke. But prior to the bye, you had heard me. I had looked at the schedule, and maybe that was me being a little callous. But, hey, based on the way the Bills had played up until the bye, did I have any reason not to be overly confident? I looked at the schedule after the Bills entered the bye post-Chiefs win, and I said, I just don't see more than one or so loss on here. I really don't. And that wasn't me, you know, that wasn't me being biased by any means. You would watch the games. Those in here who aren't Bills fans, you would watch the Bills play throughout the year, and you looked at that schedule, and you said the same thing, I'm sure. What team on that schedule is better than the Bills? But yesterday, we see a team in the New York Jets who isn't, they're not better than the Bills. We know that. This is the same situation as, as the Miami loss back in, what, what was it, week three? After that game, I didn't feel Miami was better. They still wound up losing the Bills. And yesterday and today, I still don't feel the Jets are better than the Bills. I think we watched that on display yesterday. But they lost the game nonetheless. It's very odd. You look at the Bills' wins this season. They're against the teams that potentially you would think maybe would have handed the Bills a loss, right? The way Tennessee's been playing, perhaps. Kansas City, of course. Maybe the Rams in week one, you would have thought. But no, the two losses have come in our only two divisional games. Somehow the Bills are 6-2 and two being over 
in the division. Oh, for two. I, I can't remember the last time I've seen this where a team is undefeated in every other game outside of their division. Now, of course, they've only played two divisional games, but they've found a way to shoot themselves in the foot to the point where that foot is almost disintegrated. The way that they shot themselves in the foot in both divisional games thus far is what has led the Bills to be 6-2. and two. It's uh, 8.06 right now. I know I got to get the elephant in the room out of the way, of course. The Josh Allen injury news, and that's sprinkled in, of course, with the rest of the long list of injuries that the Bills are currently dealing with. Greg Rousseau suffers one against the Jets. We're waiting for Micah, or not Micah, God, I wish. <laughs> Believe me, I wish, especially after yesterday. Uh, we're waiting for Jordan Poyer to get back, right? waiting for Matt Milano to get back, and then we're waiting for the return of Tredavious White. But those are all trumped, of course, by the, the recent news of Josh Allen's injury, potentially a UCL injury in his elbow. Um, Sean McDermott commented on it earlier today, saying that he is going to take it one day at a time. He told us basically everything that he knew, and he said within the next 24 hours or so, they should know more. Now, of course, you don't want to sit and listen to me talk about that because what do I know? Luckily for us here at the Buffalo Fanatics, we have the GOAT, the thigh doc, and he'll be joining me in about 10 minutes or so, and he'll break down everything there is to know for, uh, for all those injuries. But most importantly, Josh Allen, we're going to take a look at what that injury is exactly, the extent of it, and then we're going to get thigh doc's prediction as to what we think is going to be played out here over the next week. If we can expect to see Josh Allen this coming week, if we can expect to see him miss time, it's really up in the air. You go online, you're really not getting a solid answer from anybody. And I, don't, I think that's because nobody has one. So it'll be nice to hear from the thigh doc and get his perspective and see what he thinks uh, the story is surrounding all those injuries, but most importantly, Josh Allen. So here we are. Uh, we're well over 24 hours removed from the Bills' second loss of the season. The Bills lose 20-17 to 17 at MetLife Stadium yesterday against the New York Jets, a team coming in who had just come off uh, a real disgusting loss, to put it lightly. They go and play the New England Patriots. They could not find anything on offense. Zach Wilson played his worst game of his career. Had people like me watching that game saying, man, this kid is just not cut out to be a starting NFL quarterback right now. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not taking that back by any means. What I have seen from him thus far, it just is not good. I had told you guys what I had seen out of Zach Wilson gave me the impression that, you know, he is just not ready to lead this team and be able to win games for them without the presence of Brees Hall and without the presence of a variety of guys on their starting line, uh, starting line including Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, so you, you see that go down. You see the New York Jets who have had a, Above expectation type year, of course. They go into the New England game. They're five and two. They're riding high. No one expected them to be at the win total at that point in the season that they were at. They lose that game to a New England Patriots team that has been reeling. Going into that one, there was quarterback controversy. The defense hadn't been playing well. They got embarrassed by the Chicago Bears. Very up in the air for the New England Patriots. The Jets go into that game. You think that hey, they should be able to handle New England, right? They've been the better team thus far, so you'd think, no, it wasn't the case. They can only put up 10 points. Uh, I think they actually wound up scoring more than 10, I believe, but the last touchdown was a garbage time touchdown. The point of the, the, the fact of the matter, though, is New England outplayed them throughout that entire game, and Zach Wilson played terribly. And then you see what the Bills put on display last week in the second half of the Green Bay Packers game, which I thought was the worst half of football they had played all season. Little did we know that we had more of that in store for us for a full duration of 60 minutes yesterday. 
but you compiled what we saw from the Bills in the first half against Green Bay, a bit of a lull, putting that lightly, in the second half. And I had thought, hey, you got a Jets team coming in who just showed their true colors against the New England Patriots. The Bills are double-digit favorites in this game. They have handled the Jets the last four times. They've played them with ease. They are by far the superior team here. I expect the Bills to get back on track. I expect to see the Bills we saw pre-buy, the Bills we saw in the first half of the uh, of the Green Bay Packers game, and we're back on that train of everybody talking about the Bills being the best team in the league, dominant, what have you. But yesterday was anything but. That was by far the worst game the Bills have played this year, that's for sure, dating well back into last season too, of course. They ended the season strong and ended very strongly in the playoffs despite losing. The I would say probably within the past year, that is the worst we have seen the Bills play, and that is easily the worst we have seen Josh Allen play, and I could not tell you how long. It was egregiously bad by Josh Allen. It was egregiously bad by the defense who once again got ran over on the ground. Now, last week I gave him a pass. I had a really tough time harping on this defense because of how well they've been playing all season. And when I looked at that game, and I, and I was honest with you last week, I said, if the Bills wound up losing that game with the Packers running the ball the way they did, it would be a much different conversation. But, of course, they won that game. They dominated the first half, and it just seemed like the the strategy from the Bills' D was to just allow the Green Bay Packers to run the clock out, and by that point, they were not going to have enough time to, uh, to, to get back into the game. I mean, that, that was just the reality. The Bills had built a big enough lead in the first half that, yeah, Green Bay was dominating on the run, uh, in the run game, but they simply did not have enough time to be able to utilize that run game to get back into it. So you leave that game with a Bills W and yeah, Josh Allen had a terrible second half. The offense couldn't move the ball. They couldn't score. um, And the defense got ran all over, but it was in a W, right? So it's really easy to look over those things and say, Hey, whatever, you know, Packers aren't very good. They looked really good uh, in the first half. The Bills did. And everybody has a bad half every now and then, right? It's on to the jets. I expect the Bills to absolutely destroy the jets. Nothing to worry about here. (laughs) Well, it's funny, the jokes last week after that second half against the Packers were, hey, the game plan against the Buffalo Bills, run the ball and make sure that Josh Allen plays a terrible game. And that was a joke because nobody thought that would uh, that, that could be a game plan. How could you possibly game plan for Josh Allen to have a terrible game? Well, ironically enough, that game plan wound up working to an absolute T this past weekend on Sunday. Josh Allen, not good. Run game for the Jets, the best we've seen outside of that that Packers game, and the best we've seen so far against the team that the Bills have lost to. Kind of want to start there because that was the theme of the last two games, right? Well, there's two themes. It's Josh Allen and this offense's inability to put points on the board and move the ball all of a sudden, and it's also the Bills' run defense and their inability to really stop anybody. I had tweeted out yesterday. I said, what happened to this run? D? I had a couple comments back to me saying, what do you mean? It was never here. Really? Well, did you skip the first six or so games of the season? Because it was definitely here. But to make sure I was on the right path, I went back and took a look. Against the LA Rams week one, the Bills allowed 52 rush yards. Tennessee week two, 80 rush yards. Now, mind you, that was against... Derrick Henry, who just rushed yesterday for his fourth or fifth straight 100-yard game, I forget. Either way, he's dominating. Even against the Kansas City Chiefs team, 
That Tennessee Titans team last night, I don't, I don't think they had a first down in the second half. And I'm almost positive there wasn't a receiver who caught a ball last night. But they were in that game to the last play, and it went to overtime because of Derrick Henry. The Buffalo Bills defense held Derrick Henry to one of his worst games of his career. They had 80 total yards of rush offense in that game against the Bills. Miami, abysmal, 41 yards on the ground against Buffalo. Baltimore was the first game we saw a team really get it going on the ground. But, of course, that's because they have Lamar Jackson. They ran for 162 yards on the ground that day, but Lamar Jackson accounted for 73 of them. They played decent against the running backs to an extent, but when you're playing against Lamar Jackson, you're expecting the other team to put up yards on the ground. That is just inevitable. That's the way that they play. It's going to happen, win, lose, or draw. The Bills still won that game, but Lamar Jackson is going to have his way on the ground if that's what he chooses to do. But that was the first game of the season where the Bills had allowed over 100 yards on the ground, and it would be the last time they did so until the last two weeks. They got back on track against Pitt, 54 yards. That was one of, if not Najee Harris's worst game of his career statistically. And then they held KC to 68 yards on the ground. So don't tell me the Bills' defense on, against the run wasn't balling. You could argue it was the best run defense in the league going into the bye week. And then the Green Bay game happens, right? And as I keep reiterating, the Bills get off to a massive lead, 24-7 to at the half. And shockingly, even Tavon Miller, who said after the game he was stunned that the Packers continued to run the ball. He was expecting to see Aaron Rodgers uh, try and do Aaron Rodgers-type things. He was stunned. But what are you going to do? The Bills are up by enough points to get the job done. And the Packers said, oh, whatever, we're just going to continue to run the ball. And... Uh, Hey, that's what they did. So they accounted for 208 yards on the ground that game. But like I just got through saying a couple of minutes ago, who cares? The Bills won the game, and it was easy to say, hey, you know, that was all part of the game plan. Run them, let them run the clock out, get out of here with a W, and move on. We'll get back to normal next week. Well, now we're starting to see a bit of a trend. You got to remember this. In, this. in this league, in the NFL, there are only 17 regular season games. If something happens back-to-back, that is essentially, you got two games right there, right? Two games in a 17-game season. Now, I'm not Albert Einstein. I can't sit here and do the, uh, the decimal points here on the math. But that's essentially one-eighth of your season is two games. And right now, the Bills have played eight games, right? Now, I can do rudimentary math. Looking at that, one quarter of the Bills' season so far, they have gotten absolutely run over, and it's been the last two games. That, folks, to me, is a trend. Two games out of the bye where you're getting flattened in the run game. And it wasn't like yesterday. Yesterday was not in comparison to the Green Bay game where the Bills had a comfortable lead the whole time and you could just allow the Jets to run the ball like Green Bay did. It was a whole different game yesterday, yet they still were unable to stop the run, especially in the most crucial moments. I'll get into the entirety of of you know each series throughout this game because there's a lot to break down from just about every series. But one that comes to mind the most is when the Bills pinned the Jets back inside their own four and they absolutely gashed the Bills on the ground all the way down to where they were able to run the clock out to about a minute 40, kill all the Bills timeouts, and kick a field goal, and that wound up being the difference. If there was ever going to be an adjustment to stop the run game, it was going to be on that drive. They could not do it. They could not stop the Jets' 
in the run department. 174 yards yesterday. That comes off the 208 yards Green Bay put up. And that was the second most rush yards the Bills have allowed all season. And you look at it, and there, there was solid days from two different running backs. And this stat blew my mind because I went back and looked at, okay, so who did what against the Buffalo Bills defense? Because I, like I got through mentioning, they shut down Derrick Henry. They shut down Najee Harris. But Lamar Jackson was the outlier, and that was something that, that I don't think anybody was shocked by. He does that against just about everybody. So taking Lamar Jackson out of it because he's not a running back, I went back and looked at what, what, is, what have running backs done against this Bills D thus far? Through the first six games of the season, the Bills did not allow one single running back to eclipse 48 yards on the ground. Not one. Six full games, the Bills did not allow one running back to break 48 yards on the ground. Which in this, you know, if you got a workhorse running back or a running back that's getting 15 or so touches, 48 yards is nothing special. So the Bills D was dominating every running back that came their way. The last two games, the Bills have allowed four different running backs to eclipse that 48-yard mark. Two games, four running backs just having their way. And yesterday, of course, no exception. Michael Carter, 12 carries, 76 yards. He was averaging over six yards a carry, and he got in the end zone. And then James Robinson, a new addition for the Jets. He does, all, he does just enough to get the job done as well. 13 carries. He just touches down on that 48-yard mark. And you look at the numbers combined there, and they ran the ball 25 times. So what does that tell you? They had no problem. They had no problem making their entire offense revolve around the run game. And you know that to be true because Zach Wilson only threw the ball 25 times. They ran the ball more than they threw it yesterday, and they wound up getting the job done. Two games in this league, back-to-back in a 17-game schedule. It really makes you wonder if it's a trend or not. Because if they had the ability to stop the run yesterday, they were going to eventually find a way to do it, especially on the Jets' final drive of the game where they waltzed down the field. Waltz down the field. Let's get into that drive right now, actually, now that we're talking about it, because that drive really was the, that was the dagger. Could not have had a better punt. The Bills pin them inside their own four, and you're looking at that particular drive, and you say to yourself, no way in hell is a Zach Wilson-led offense against this D going the distance and putting up points on this drive to get the job done for a Jets victory. There is no way you would have bet your life on it. Zach Wilson and the Jets offense pinned up against their own goal line against this Bills D. I don't care that Milano's out. We'll get into that in a bit because clearly, without him and Poyer, this defense is a shell of itself. But nonetheless... It is a Zach Wilson-led offense, okay? It is not a top-five quarterback that back there. Without Brees Hall, it is not a top-five running back uh, core back there. It is a very average to mediocre offense that had to go the length of the field to get the job done against this Bills defense, who going into that game was pretty much an undisputed top defense in this league. And on that particular drive, you really were proved 
that they could not stop it even if they wanted to. Because even in that situation where the Jets knew they were going to have to go at least to the, to the Bills' 40-yard line to get points, they continued to run it nonstop, and they continued to gash the Bills on nearly every single attempt. The first snap backed up against the four there. They wind up getting right to the first down marker, a nine-yard carry right off the gate. So you're backed up against your own goal line. You got them pinned. You know they're going to have to run the ball. There's no way that Robert Sala is trusting Zach Wilson to throw the ball inside of his own end zone. There's just no way in hell. You know the run is coming. And the D-line, which was seemingly there to stop the run, could not tackle. And the, and the Jets bust off a run to get right near the sticks. And then they would go on the rest of that drive to bust off I, I, there was at least three 10-plus-yard rushes and a couple of rushes where there was about 15 or more yards gained on each run. That drive, let me pull it up here. My notes aren't loading up on the computer, of course. I'm going to pull them up on here because that drive in particular was a real doozy. Of course, it's not loading. Everything's just going to shit. The... Uh, the Jets started out, I remember it. See, I wrote it down, so it's kind of like, you know, you, 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 get it, you get it locked in your brain, especially because it's really hard to forget. It's hard to forget what we just witnessed yesterday. They got that ball, the Jets did, with about seven and a half minutes or so, just under eight minutes. And they ran the ball, not only the length of the field, because they got down to the, to the Bills' red zone inside the five-yard line. They not only did that, but they milked the entire clock down killed the two-minute warning, and then forced the Bills to use all three of their timeouts, almost exclusively on the ground. They started with the ball backed up on their own four with about eight minutes left, and almost exclusively through the run game, they were able to go the length of the field, run the clock all the way down under two minutes, make the Bills burn all three of their timeouts, score, and take the lead. And then put the Bills and Josh Allen in a really tough spot without timeouts to have to go down the field and get points. I understand you look at the final score and you think 20 points, it's not a whole lot. Especially in this current state of the NFL where 20 points just seems like that's got to be the status quo every week to get a win. It was enough yesterday. It was enough. But you can't put the whole blame on the defense because at the end of the day, yes, it is 20 points. Despite how poorly they defended the run, they still only allowed 20 points. And when you do have the best scoring offense in the league with Josh Allen, you expect holding the opponent to 20 points to get the job done. You do not expect a 17-point outing. 20 points allowed to any team by the Buffalo Bills should get the job done. Yet in their two losses, they allowed 21 points and 20 points respectively, and they weren't able to crack 20 on offense. So as poorly as I believe the defense wound up playing yesterday, when you really get down to it and you break down what the Bills currently have, any team in the league for the most part would be satisfied with allowing 20 points or so, right? especially looking back on it, the way the Miami Dolphins have been scoring points recently, 
Looking back on that, think about that, right? Think about that. The Bills were missing six defensive starters against that offense, and they only put up 21 points. So what does that tell you? The, the, blame is, the blame is more so on the offense than anything. Now, yesterday, I'm willing to put much more blame on the defense than I am in the Miami game because there were more injuries in the Miami game. And, uh, and yesterday, you watched from the defense the inability to stop the run. The Dolphins didn't run much against the Bills defense, and they had one shot play from Tua to Waddle that wound up being the big difference in the game. But there really wasn't any of that today, uh, against the Jets. They just had a game plan that they absolutely 100% stuck to the entire game. They never wavered from it. And they played clean, solid football throughout, and it wound up getting the job done. That's where you got to tip your cap to the New York Jets, their defense, and Zach Wilson. They came in with a game plan that they thought would work, and they did not waver away from it once. Speaking of the Bills' defense and, you know, the Jets' offense and what they did yesterday, you have to tip your cap here to Zach Wilson. You have absolutely got to give credit where credit's due. Zach Wilson did not lose the game yesterday for the New York Jets. If you watched the game last week against the Patriots, he threw two of the worst interceptions you'll ever see. Three in total. He played a horrendous game. And if you watch the entirety of that game, you could really make the argument that Zach Wilson lost that game for the Jets. You really could make that argument. But yesterday, he did anything but. He managed that game perfectly. The way the Jets are built, they want to run the ball and they want to play defense. And they just want to avoid any mistakes. They want to play mistake-free football. That's exactly what Zach Wilson did yesterday. 18 to 25, 154 yards, one touchdown. And the key here, he didn't throw a single interception. Only one turnover on the day, and it wound up not even mattering because the Bills wound up handing the ball back two plays later. Something that happened again, something that happened last week as well. Another reason to kind of lean the blame more towards the offense in this one. Because despite the Bills' inability to defend the, uh, the run yesterday and their woes on defense, Von Miller did wind up making the play of the game, and the Bills' offense pissed it away two plays later. And that also wound up being a major difference in this one. But I got to give a ton of credit to Zach Wilson. He had the same amount of completions as Josh Allen yesterday on less attempts. Of course, he had more throwing touchdowns than Josh Allen did, who wound up with zero. He threw less interceptions. He was sacked less. And he had more than double the passer rating of Josh Allen in yesterday's game. Nothing that you look at right there on the statistic list for Zach Wilson is going to blow your mind or make you feel impressed by him. But what you should be impressed by is the fact that he was able to manage that game in a way that would not cost the Jets the game or put them in a tough spot. And when there were plays that needed to be made in order for the Jets to continue their drives, he wound up making them. In particular, in that drive I was just referring to, where the Jets ran the ball the length of the field, a third and five, Zach Wilson throws a dart on a screen pass where Kyir Elam was absolutely cooked. It was third and five, first down on that play, and it just so happened to be at the two-minute warning. So right there, they were able to get rid of the two-minute warning, get the first down, and then would go on to run the ball to juice the clock and make the Bills use their timeouts. So when a play that needed to be made, Zach Wilson made it. You look at the stats, nothing mind-blowing, 
Nothing awfully impressive. You don't leave that game saying, oh, Zach Wilson, he's the future. But he did just enough. He did just enough. And yesterday, just enough is all that it took. Let's digress a little bit from yesterday and recapping the game a bit to get an update about all the injuries that I spoke on earlier in the show. I told you Thigh Doc would be joining me, and he has made his presence known in the background here in the green room. And like I tell you every time Thigh Doc comes on, I love seeing him. He's one handsome fella. I can see him right now. He's got his JA stash shirt on. I love talking to the Thigh Doc. I love seeing him, but I just hate bringing him on because it usually means I got nothing good to talk about. And right now, there really ain't a whole lot a lot of good to talk about with the thigh doc, except potentially the return of Tredavious white this week, which is exciting, but that almost gets completely negated with the news of Josh Allen. So here he is folks. The goat, the thigh doc. Hey, I'm loving the shirt, buddy. You're paying homage. And yesterday I thought that I thought the stash was going to be, you know, like an elixir for Josh Allen, but I'm thinking after yesterday, that thing's getting shaved off pretty quickly. Yeah. I would shave it too. Yeah. So talk to me, Thigh Doc. Everybody's been waiting for you to come on the, the news today. Nobody knows what to make of it. Everybody's got something different to say. The one person I think we could rely on the most was Sean McDermott. And he basically, you know, gave a nothing answer like a lot of coaches are good at because I don't know if he has a whole lot to share right now. What did you make of what McDermott said just based on what you know of the injury? And then beyond that, what's your whole take on what's going on with Josh Allen right now? Yeah. So, I mean, look, the mechanism is a UCL, so that's the Tommy John ligament. So his arm got cocked back, so he sprained the ligament on the inside of his elbow. The ulnar nerve is runs very intimately with the UCL. So if you you know if your UCL gets sprained, you probably have like a little trauma to your your um, ulnar nerve as well. So what does that mean? Well, if he popped it good, like a grade two or more, I mean a grade three is probably going to need surgery. But if it's a grade two, that'd be similar to what we saw his rookie year. So he he had sprained it when he got hit on the side of the elbow because it kind of whipped him around. Uh, I think he threw the ball one more time. Then he ran off to the sideline, and they did the uh, the milking test. And do you remember that video where he, like, crumbled down when they did yes. the test on the sideline? Yes. Yeah, because it was bad. So he had probably a grade one plus to a grade two sprain, uh, and they had to shut him down for, for four weeks, which is about a month. Um. Now, if you're a baseball player, you throw the ball a little differently. So a small UCL sprain. Now, remember, sprains is like a little tear of the ligament. So there's grade one, two, and three. Three means it's ruptured. You got to repair it. Two is a little iffy. If you get a two with baseball, it's probably going to give you trouble. And a lot of times they, they reconstruct it anyways. A grade one you can kind of get away with. They do the PRP. I don't know if you remember that uh, the Japanese pitcher for the Yankees. I think it was like Tataka or something. Yeah, uh, he, he, it was different for him because he was doing the PRP and he came back. He actually never got the surgery. Um, but with football, the mechanics are different. So the UCL isn't uh, put on as much stress. So these guys can play with like m minor trauma to the ligament. So as you saw, Allen had a pretty decent sprain his rookie year. He only missed a month from it. So go to the game. You know, that's the mechanism. You know, his arm got pulled back, puts a lot of stress at the ligament. Uh Obviously, something was bothering him on the next throw. He kind of threw it in the dirt, short hopped it to, yep. to Diggs. But then he came back and he threw a 70-yard bomb on point to yep. Gabe Davis. So that bodes well. Um, so then I don't know what all the fuss was because, like, press conference, he didn't seem too irritated. Yep. And then some rumbling started. I guess some people kind of tweeted some cryptic stuff. So 
So what does that mean? Uh, that means like they know that he's got some injury, but they made it sound like this is going to be like season ending uh, surgical case, which it's, it's not trending that direction. He probably has a minor sprain um, at this point. I would assume the team's not too worried. I think he's still in play for the Vikings game. Okay. Like you, I'll put that out there. Um, but, you know, when you sprain a ligament, you get some swelling. Um, and he's probably getting some testing done. So he's probably got to get he's got to get an MRI because that's what takes a look at the soft tissue. And they probably got to grade the, the sprain. Um, and he might have some, uh, you know, some issues with the, the ulnar nerve, which would take a different test. It would have to be like a nerve conduction test. Um, but listen, I saw some reports, the Mort report, the Rappaport report. They're saying that it's not it's not a big deal. So, yeah, he's getting additional testing. You know how McDermott is. He's not going to put anything out there until he has to. Right. So they're just waiting to see uh, how bad it is. But I would assume that he's already done physical testing with his trainers. That special test that we saw on the sideline his rookie year probably wasn't that sensitive. Probably didn't hurt him much. But they're like, look, Josh, like you, you probably sprained it. Um, let's get some testing and see how it goes. It's probably a little swollen ice it down, work, make sure he's got full range of motion, give it a little massage and see if he could throw it at the end of the week. If it's a minor sprain, if it's a grade one to grade two, you're looking at four weeks max. This is not going to be a grade three season and injury or throw that out. We would already know. You understand? Yes. So best case scenario, he just got a little dinged and he comes back this week. Worst case scenario on my current hypothesis would be a month. He might fall somewhere in between. He might just miss one game. He might miss two, but I don't even think he would miss two here. Just That's just the feeling I'm getting. Um, but at the end of the day, he's going to be fine. But you might see him in a brace, okay, for a couple weeks. So we saw him come back with a brace when he came back his rookie year. Could it affect him a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, it's a game of inches. So if you're trying to, like, thread the needle, you know, put stuff in tight windows – the game is tied in his third and 14, it could affect him. But if you have a comfortable lead, you know, um, the other little inches of the game are going our way. You're not, it's not going to be as exposed. Does that make sense? It does. So yeah. let's, let's talk about longevity. Then a lot of people are saying, even if it's something that isn't as much of a concern as maybe you are kind of alluding to here, where it's not going yeah. to be season ending, um, but it could potentially be an issue nonetheless. Let's talk longevity. People are saying, you know, I'd rather J.A. sit out for X amount of time than lose him in the long term or potentially, you know, beyond even this season as far as down the road, this being something that continuously bothers him. Is this something you look at here that he puts at risk for himself going back in early? Um, or would he just simply – would we know – whether or not he should or should or not be playing. Is it something that you can risk or is it something that it's just flat out you're not going in or, you know, you're good to go? Yeah. Um, I'd say the the nerve is less predictable than the, the UCL. If it's a minor UCL and he could possibly play this week, it's just a little sore. It's, it's like a, a minimal grade one. I think you're fine. If you put a brace on him for two weeks, it is what it is. He's probably better off. Josh Allen at 85% is probably much better than Case Keenum at 100%. So that gives you the best odds to win. Now, listen, if he gets in a position where he's running, falls on an extra outstretched arm, you know, he throws one real hard, you know, you'd, you'd have to assume they wouldn't put him in if he can't throw it hard. Do you understand? Yes. Like if it hurt him to, to, to play catch, 
in, in practice, he's not going to play. If it feels 100% throwing, if not like 95%, he can play, and the throws aren't going to bother him. Now, you might want to run the ball a little more so he's not throwing the ball 60 times in a game, but I'd be more worried about him kind of getting hit, going down on a run play, jamming his elbow up, someone coming hitting him from the side. That's kind of where you, why you wear the brace to give him some extra stability. Now, if you have a sprained ligament, you are a little more vulnerable. Now, I wouldn't be as worried about the throwing, but like the hitting, like you said. So if you have something that's a little stretched out and he does take a hit, uh, yeah, he's going to be a little more susceptible to either re-aggravating it. So you got to start the healing cycle again, which, by the way, for like a grade one, we're looking at anywhere from like two to four weeks to kind of fully heal internally. Um, but that doesn't mean he can't play for those two to four weeks. I'm just making that clear. Yeah. You, you're following me, right? Sure. This is making sense. Yeah. But if you do, you know, it's like, um, here's an example. It's like RG3. He had like a, like a PCL or a, he had like a LCL spring going into that playoff game. Probably should have waited another two to three weeks because his knee was probably a little loose. And then he had the misstep and then he tore his ACL. So that's, that's kind of what I worry about. I wouldn't worry about that happening when he's throwing, but I would worry about it if he took a hit to the elbow or, you know, he's running the ball and he puts his arm out, stiff arm lands on the ground and outstretched arm. Someone rolls into him. So, so that's that the problem I have thigh doc is that is something that it will inevitably happen the way he plays. So is it, is it, it has to be a concern then, right? That's why they're, I'm sure they're doing the MRI. Yeah. And if it shows that there's like hardly any inflammation there and he's getting a, a no positives on the special testing when they do in person, like physically, then I think he ends up playing. Okay. But if it shows, Hey, you know, we're doing the special test on Josh. He's telling us he doesn't have pain, but we just did an MRI and this thing's swollen. It's inflamed. And it looks like a, a grade one plus to possibly a grade two sprain. The team's going to shut him down. Okay. So, you just wait out the week, wait for more report. Yeah. You know what? I am pretty nervous what's going to happen tomorrow. Cause they're probably going to get the MRI results and then we'll know what they want to do. But uh, if they say, Hey, it's still day to day after that, you know, when McDermott comes on tomorrow, I think that bodes double thumbs up. So tomorrow if, you're expecting either to hear a day to day or week to week. So you're expecting to hear either that, which would be positive or you're expecting to hear a definitive. He's going to have to miss time. Is that kind of where you're at? Yeah, like if you hear week to week, yep, it's a grade two sprain. Look for him to be out, at, you know, almost two games. If okay. they say it's day to day, he could still be out one game, but he won't be out two. Does that okay. make sense? It does. Um, yeah. All right, let's move on to Groot. Yesterday, he gets banged up, gets walked off the field. Uh, talk to me about what you saw there, what's going on with him, and, and what, what we can expect uh, surrounding his situation. Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I didn't even look at the injury yet. So I spent a lot of time looking at the Allen thing. I was at the game yesterday, by the way. So then I had to get up and work. It was pretty busy today. So I just got home. I'll take a look at it later. They're calling it high ankle. So, okay. you know, they always say two to six weeks. That's a big thing. Two to four, blah, blah, blah. But uh, you're really looking at him missing three games. So that's how I would see this. So we had Kumaro. He recently had it. He took five weeks to get back, but there was a bye week in there. Yeah. So you'd assume Groot, I don't know, I'd say look for him to miss three games. So you're expecting time miss from him no matter what? Oh, absolutely, two games. All right. Yeah. Let's in a roundabout way here kind of summarize the three guys that we didn't have yesterday that we sure as hell could have used. Let's start with Poyer. 
What's the deal with with him? I mean, it's been so topsy-turvy. Yeah. The problem is without him out on the field, this defense is just not the same. Really, yeah. really need him back. I mean, there's no other way to put it. So what's the status on Jordan Poyer moving forward here? Yeah, so how I read it, you know, he had the hyperextension in camp. We never actually saw the injury, but it's it sounded and it looked bad because we saw how much pain he was in when he yeah. keeled over walking up the field. So I would assume he stretched his ligaments out pretty good. They gave him like five weeks before week one well rested then he when was the packers game last week that was what that was the third yeah so he had the brace on for almost two you know a month and a half later that was an extra five weeks that's you know he had the he was basically bracing for three months he took the brace off for the packers game and he got his arm basically it didn't hyperextend, but it got pulled back again so i don't know if he's going to need something to either clean up the elbow or have some type of surgery at the end of the year He's a safety, though. And, you know, I'm not saying, like, hey, you're worthless, but if it doesn't hurt and he's got good strength and good range of motion, he puts a brace on it and he can play. If if the game yesterday was a playoff game, I think he actually plays. Okay. I think he would trend towards coming back this week with a brace on. Let's see how the, the report goes, though. Um, like I said, if he's not, like, in a limited fashion early in the week – uh, you know, they might want to give him another week off, especially because it's his second time with the elbow injury. But again, not a long-term issue. He hasn't had to get surgery. He could actually sprain his Tommy John ligament, the way the uh, the elbow kind of went out to the side. Um, but like I said, he should be back, put a brace on for the rest of the year and, and play through it. The Bills, Sucks because I know he's in a contract year. Yeah, I know. I feel for him, and especially the way he yeah. was, he's been playing too. Uh, he was tied for the league in interceptions going into the weekend and, Frankly, they the just thorax. Yeah. Huh, two games he's not in. That's their only two losses of the year. Uh, speaking of teams, or speaking of a guy that the Bills just don't do well without Matt Milano, they went to five yeah. and four yesterday in games where they play without Matt Milano. I mean, he's, in my opinion, and I know it's just based on watching the Bills exclusively. I don't think everybody else looks at Matt Milano maybe the way we do, but a defensive player of the year type player for the Bills within this organization at the least. And yesterday it was. Uh, it was a big miss. The way the Jets ran the ball, not having Milano in is huge. What can we expect from him moving forward? Because that's just another guy that this Bills defense doesn't have him. It's just not the same. Yeah, uh, I think he comes back this week. Okay. So he, he had a strain in his oblique. I don't think it was severe, like he felt a rip or anything, because he played 100% of the snaps the week before. I think it's just something he probably twinged during the game. Now, listen, oblique injuries do suck because it's all the twisting. It's going to hurt. And then, you know, you're tackling, you're pulling someone. It's it's constantly irritating it. Uh, playoff game, he plays. Diggs, the year we had COVID, yep. he sprained his oblique. He came back the week later in the playoffs. So, listen, Milano got back to practice in a limited fashion, but it was at the end of the week, and they just probably thought, listen, they probably thought we could get away with this game and rest these guys up another That's week. Loud, yeah. Uh, I think it bit him in the ass. So, um I think Literally, they probably so. had a similar strategy against the, the the Packers, so it seemed. And I thought going into this one, it's the same way I felt. I saw those guys out, and it didn't bug me. I didn't think it would really matter who was in there. And then, you know, I, I, that's where I'm just so lost right now as far as trying to dissect what we've seen the last two weeks compared to the first six weeks. But yeah. I just think having those guys in, that that is the biggest takeaway from yesterday. It's just it's completely yeah. different. Now, just not just their physical presence. I think it has a lot to do with their mental Sure. mental whereabouts. Yeah. I, I think Milano does a lot for Edmonds. Yep. And I think Poyer does a ton for the secondary. And I think Hamlin's a good enough backup to get by.
or hide. But when you have both out, it's your total different story. The drop off to Jaquan's not looking good. Plus the whole communication. So yep. listen, uh, you know, I didn't break down any film. I did play football through college, but I watched a little bit of the game back. So I was at the game. So I just wanted to watch it on that, that like condensed game thing. And the touchdown right before half, go back and watch it. Edmonds is like outside the tackle box. And it seemed like two guys were on the tight end. Edmonds in whatever corner, I think that was Elam out there. And in the middle of the field was Hamlin. Looked like he was playing middle linebacker in like a nickel scheme with like a single linebacker. It did not look good. They ran it right up the middle. They got body on body. You know, it's five five guys blocking four D linemen, and the guy just slipped in. What was Hamlin going to do? Nothing. So, well, I mean, his biggest standout to me yesterday, he got outmanned on that interception, that tip ball that would have really flipped the game. They wound up getting that first down on the fake punt. I, there was just so many things from yesterday. Yeah. With all of this said, Doc, give me some good news. I was hearing rumblings that maybe we would see Tredavious White yesterday. We didn't, but he's activated. Yeah. We see him this week, right? Uh, yeah. I don't see why not. Um, again, I think the team internally had a have had a plan for him. So I don't think they're going to go week to week like, hey, let's see how Trey is. You know what I mean? Oh, he looks a little better. Let's see how he is on practice on Friday. They know when they're going to play him, and he knows when he's going to play. He's had three full weeks of practice at this point because he didn't because he came back. Like, when did he come back again? I feel like he only he's only, he only had he came back late because he. The day they could have activated him, they didn't. They waited an extra week off the pup list. Yeah, then they had 21 the days. days. They activated him. Yeah, Before, obviously they he didn't. But, but was one of the bye. weeks was a bye. One of the weeks was a bye week. They activated Correct. him right before the bye, so that would have been two so weeks. He missed a practice week out of that. Yes. Yeah, so then it was, was a 21 day. Yep. Then the Packers game obviously didn't play. Didn't play in the yeah. Jets game. So I think my whole thought process has been the way they've been approaching it it seemed like this coming up game was going to be the one you yeah, have to think that that's why that's going to wind up being the case i mean last week could have been the game because they activated him off the 53 but i i i honestly think they just have a plan for him in place and they know when he's coming back he might not even come back this week who knows and they might be pushing it back as they're doing better you know what i mean they're like yeah. hey we, we can get by another week get by another week <laughs> guys listen the he looks fine and he probably is fine, but things still happen. Guys really aren't there for like a year and a half. It doesn't matter. If he yeah. comes back today, if he comes back three weeks from now, his body just needs 18 months. He'll he'll get better as he plays more because he's going to get more game underneath him, but little things can happen. Menisco, look at the guys from the Ravens, okay? You had Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, both had ACLs, and then you had Peters. Peters took 11 and a half months to come back. They brought back Dobbins and they brought back Gus Edwards. Dobbins just had to get a meniscal surgery, probably because his knees wasn't all the way there. And then Gus Edwards tore his hamstring because maybe they took a hamstring graft. Usually they don't. They take a patellar. But stuff happens if you come back early. So I think the team knows that, and they're just being as conservative as possible. So Before I yeah. get you out of here, answer the thumb for me. All right, where are you at right now? you hitting the panic button, or are you just kind of taking it for what it is right now? No, I'm good. Honestly, the Allen thing was – if, if Allen was out for the season, it's over. Huh. So honestly, that would, even though we lost the jets, it's almost like I just hit Christmas. Cause I know Allen's going to be okay. So listen, guys, full moon, a lunar eclipse day, daylight savings time happened last year on daylight savings. Time. I know I, I saw that. What the hell's up with that, man? 
And it's the same thing. We, we beat the Chiefs. They get all high and mighty. They throw out all their good stuff earlier in the year. They hit a bye week. They come out of the bye. They win a game. And then uh, we get figured out a little bit. We got to go back, reinvent ourselves, and come back up. And Deion Dawkins said it, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's not as good if it's easy. Things are made to be hard. So it's good to get the team challenged. We're still 6-2. and two. Wouldn't if you have signed up for that if we said we'd be 6-2 and two right now? I think based on what I've seen, um, look at the way the NFL is planning, uh, it's panning out. Yeah, I would have signed up for six and two. The problem is I don't think anybody else would have signed up with the knowledge that the Jets and the Dolphins would be a game or a half game behind in the division. That's what's crazy. Things have gone so 180 from the, the comfortable lead it felt like they had up until this point to all of a yeah. sudden one bad loss with the rest of the division ascending. That's where things get weird to me right now. So we'll see how it pans out. But, you know, looking at the the way that everything has gone this season, it's not like they're not going to make it into the playoffs, obviously. That's not a concern. It's just why are they losing these games the way they are? And, all, and, and my biggest concern, too, is why are they getting completely shut down in the second half the last two games? That's that's another thing. But, hey, I think you brought a lot of positivity tonight, though. That's for sure. Comfort creates complacency. I think it's good to keep their feet over the fire. Keep them sharp. I love it. Well, hey, Thigh Doc. See how it goes. Hey, and make sure to go follow Thigh Doc on Twitter at Thigh Doctor, and he's all over yeah. this type of stuff. So he will make sure to keep you updated. Uh oh. Oh, look at him. Look at him. He's got the he's got the main man in the background, the shirt on. Let's give him a little music. You know, not, not wrong. No, let's see what we got. No, wrong two. I never have a good tune. Oh. There we go. Here's your turn. This is like the designated one. I left it up to the Thigh Doc tonight. I said he might not be in the mood to do it, but look at him. Rain or shine, the thigh doc's going to dance his way on out of here. Look at him go. Look at that thing, baby. I love it. Thank you, thigh doc. The thigh doc, baby. Always making us smarter. Always making us feel a little dumber. Those are the things we do not know. But, hey, we all needed a boost of confidence. I think what he had to say about Josh Allen seemed positive. But I think at the end of the day, you know, him as well as all of us, we're all a little bit in the dark as to what exactly is going on. So tomorrow will be huge. We'll find out exactly, or hopefully at least, we'll find out what the game plan is with Josh Allen, his current injury status, and what happens moving forward. It's a real bummer to hear that Greg Rousseau is going to be out at least a few games. Um, Just seems like right when we get one guy back, another guy falls, which blows. I mean, that's just the way things go in the NFL, though, I guess. This league is all about doing what you can with the depth you have. And up until now, I mean, the Bills' depth has really been filling in more than adequately, you would say. But yesterday, I think the lack of a few guys on defense especially really wound up being the Achilles heel for this Bills team in a loss. Um, real quick word from our sponsor over at BetUS. Get to the super chats that you guys have left for me before Thigh came on. Then we're going to get much more in-depth into what we just saw from the Jets game. And then we're going to break down a tough battle coming up here in Week 10 against the 7-1 somehow. Minnesota Vikings at home, a game that is going to be huge. Can't believe it's a one o'clocker, but starting to feel like there's a lot to prove this coming week, so I'm looking forward to it. But a quick word from BetUS, and we'll get back to it. Football is back, and so is BetUS.com for our 28th year of NFL action. With live in-game betting, incredible odds with daily odds boosters, props, parlays, fast payouts, and exceptional customer service, BetUS has it all. Sign up today at BetUS.com. BetUS, where the game begins.
BetUS, go check it out. Got the uh, offer code up in the top of your screen there, as well as more information in the description below if you are interested in our friends over at BetUS. All right, let's get to the Super Chat. Sorry for the delay here, everyone. James, earlier on in the show, comes in and says, Misery enjoys company, bot. You're right. And I'm not trying to be in the company of misery right now. I'm not necessarily miserable. I don't think I'm going to say that. I'm not going to go to that extent. I'm just more so confused. And I think more so than anything disappointed. I just think the way that things had gone earlier in the year, you circle the Jets game as a game that just seems like a cakewalk. But as many in here have mentioned, I mean, you know, the Jacksonville game last year sticks out as a game that was resembling of this one. It just felt like the additions the Bills had made to this team in the offseason and the way they had come out and opened the season up this year. I was not anticipating a Jacksonville-style game. And I think we've gotten now three straight halves of Jacksonville-style football from these Bills. And, I mean, you're talking about two straight second-half performances where the Bills cannot muster more than three points. And you're talking about two straight performances where the Bills' defense could not find a way to stop the run. Now, I know it didn't bite them last week, but – that trickled into this game this past weekend, and when they needed a stop, they couldn't get one, and it wasn't in their favor this past weekend. They wound up losing to a Jets team that just found a way to take advantage of what they had, and they executed their game plan. I mean, I can't stress that enough. I know a lot of people in here right now are saying, you know, you can't give the Jets credit or, uh, you know, it, it, the Bills beat themselves. I mean, two, you know, I say this all the time on here. Two things can be true at once. Yes. The Bills beat themselves plenty of times yesterday. There were several moments throughout that game that were just abysmal, that wound up being self-inflicted, it seemed, from Buffalo. But a Jets team that they had last year, you could say, they don't win that game. The Jets, the way they are right now, they're, they're very solidly coached. Their defense is no joke. And like I said earlier in the show, you have got to give credit to Zach Wilson for finding a way to execute that game plan and not put the Jets in harm's way. He had one turnover all game from a great play by Von Miller, and that was it. He didn't throw any interceptions. He didn't really throw many errant balls. He was very accurate all day, and he was able to lead the, fe- the, the team down the field. I mean, I know it's not impressive based on our standards from what we've seen from Josh Allen or guys like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson playing right now. I get it. But this Jets team, they, that, they don't have that. That's not how they're winning games. They won the game yesterday in a fashion that, is exactly how they wanted to win it. They did exactly what they wanted to do going into that game. And I'm not entirely sure what the Bills wanted to do yesterday, frankly. I'm not entirely sure what the game plan was. The game plan, once again, it just seems, hey, Josh Allen, go out there and win the game for us exclusively on on your own back and have the defense um, hold the the team to less than 20 points. And I don't know. Scotty coming in. Scotty's saying, if there's anybody that Bloom, uh, that Bloom Amos, it's Ken, to blame the most, I'm assuming you're saying here. If there's anybody to blame the most, it's Ken Dorsey. You can't put it on Josh Allen. That was some of the worst play calling ever by Dorsey. Um, yeah, no, I, no, see, uh, once again, two things can be true at once. There were some moments yesterday from Dorsey that have you scratching your head, especially, you know, and, and I got a lot, there's a lot of people that are divided on this. Uh, they, they trade for Naheem Hines, and he doesn't touch the ball once yesterday. People are like, well, of course he didn't touch the ball. They just traded for him last week. Who cares? Christian McCaffrey played almost a quarter of the snaps for San Francisco, and he was signed to the, to the 49ers three or four days before that game. Uh, TJ Hawkinson had 70 yards yesterday for the Minnesota Vikings that we'll see coming up this week. Naheem Hines could have played in that game. 
There was nothing drawn up for him in that game at all, except for a god-awful wheel route that was overthrown by Josh Allen on third down that didn't come anywhere close. And I, I bring that up because the Bills ran the ball 12 times with their running backs. I mean, it's just... I understand it's not, it, maybe it's not as bad as it's made out to be sometimes the Bills run game. I had told you last week and it still holds true. The Bills are only, are the only team in the league all the way up until this point in time to have run the ball for a hundred plus yards every game. It's just, it's not coming from the running backs. Josh Allen had 86 of their 134 rush yards yesterday. This running game is non-existent. And I think you go and make the move for Hines, give him a burn or two. Because clearly you're not satisfied with what you have. James Cook, you draft him in the second round. They're not utilizing him. There seems to be no particular game plan to get him more actively involved. Devin Singletary, eight carries for 24 yards, three yards a clip. And then James Cook only got four carries for 15 yards. 12 total rushes by running backs yesterday. Nine total for Josh Allen. For 134 yards total on the ground, Josh Allen accounts for 86 of them. And then you hear what the thigh doc says. And I, I don't know how much this plays into the game plan, but look, if Josh Allen is banged up, I'd much rather have him in there than not. But if that means they can't run the ball, well, or if that means they can't run the ball with him, which I don't even know if that's possible. I just don't see if Josh Allen's on the field, he's not going to be the guy to not take the open lane if it's there. So all I know is right now, the, the run game is exclusively Josh Allen for the most part. We've seen flashes from this run game throughout the year here. Um, you know, from Devin Singletary, we've seen some spurts, but as far as the consistency, there is none. The only consistent aspect of this Bills run game uh, is Josh Allen. Uh, and back to Scotty's point where he says it's it's more of Dorsey's fault than Josh Allen. Look at Look, Josh Allen made some great plays yesterday. No debate. Once again, they're not in that game yesterday at all if Josh Allen's not playing because the only two scores they had came on his legs. The only two game scores they had all day came from him running the ball. The first touchdown, he ran it all the way down to the one. Then he QB sneaked it in. And then, of course, the 36-yard rush to get it all the way into the end zone on that third down play. That was, I think, the second longest rush of his career, the longest rush he's had this season. Look, man, Josh Allen played terrible yesterday. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that that's. There's no reason to sugarcoat it. I mean, everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, he made some great plays. He also threw two of the worst interceptions you will ever see, not just by Josh Allen, but by a pro quarterback. Can we be a little bit fair here? And I'm not, and this isn't just Scotty. I'm sure Scotty... Scotty's just bringing me to the point. I'm not harping on Scotty here at all. This is just something I've seen every time that there's a, there's a mishap from Josh Allen. For me giving Josh Allen criticism is not me saying, oh, he's not as good as he used to be, or, oh, here comes the downward trend. I mean, everybody else who's not a Bills fan, that's what they want to say, right? That's fine. Um, 
you know, Josh Allen can still be as elite as he's been and also have bad games. And the sky doesn't need to be falling. And when he does well, he doesn't need to be crowned, um, you know, a Hall of Famer. There, there's got to be a middle ground here. He's much more leaned towards the elite top of the league type guy than he is what we saw the last two games, right? But you have to be able to be a bit honest and transparent here. And I've seen plenty of people, you know, constantly try to make excuses. And you can do that. That's fine. But you're not being honest with yourself. The two interceptions Josh threw, Josh Allen threw yesterday were two of the worst you will ever see. There is absolutely no explanation for those two interceptions. Let's start with the first one, because this is really how the game kicks off. The game kicks off in a way where you immediately feel the utmost confidence in this Bills team coming off a really rough second half. They only scored three points in the second half last week against Green Bay. Josh Allen throws two egregiously bad interceptions last week. And I had thought, hey, you know, you got it out of your system. Thank God it was in a win. Even though they played pretty terribly in that second half, you still get out of there with a 10-point victory. It's tough to harp on things. But when you get back to it last week, Josh Allen threw two god-awful interceptions. But like I keep saying, in a victory, it's really easy to overlook those things. It cost them majorly yesterday. Let's kick it off with the first one. So the way the game opens up, the, the Jets kicker quite literally slips and falls on his own shoelace to open the kick. When have you ever seen that ever in your life? You haven't. The opening kick, he falls on his own two feet. And he squibs the ball. Consequently, the Bills start with it at the 45. And the next play, an absolute dime launch bomb from Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs to get him all the way down into just outside of the end zone. And you're like, oh, baby, they're back, right? They put that shitty second half last week into the rear view, and they're back to motoring. Before we dissect what we saw after that, let's get to Jack on the super chat here. Jack saying, I was actually glad to see the Chiefs win. Bills are on notice that they need to step it up. Time to get serious and get our shite together. Better to not be pre-anointed. And that's kind of fitting of what we're talking about right now. And James is coming in again after Jack there. And by the way, shout out to Jack. He won the, uh, the J.A. Funko Pop giveaway over on my Twitter. I usually give away something every now and then every couple of weeks over on my Twitter. And Jack, out of like 1,500 entries, he won. So a, a fan of the smoke break and Buffalo fanatics and also a lifelong bills fan. Quick shout out to Jack for winning that giveaway. Cause that's like, you might as well be hitting the lottery one in 1500. That is not easy stuff. I love it. So congrats again, Jack. I'm actually shipping that out to you right after the show here today. Um, let's get to James here. James says this was on the coaches and coordinators. Yes. Josh had a couple of brain farts, but still this, in my opinion, was on McDermott. Dorsey and Frazier. Look at, yeah, that's fine. Like what James is saying is fine. There is definitely blame to go around for, for I mean, for my money, Frazier needs to start be, being questioned with his lack of ability to adjust the game plan because he didn't do it at all last week. I think we all gave him a pass because the bills won and the, the way the Packers executed their offense against that defense wound up ultimately benefiting the bills. It ran the clock out. But yesterday, as I keep reiterating here, they were running it down their throat all game. And on the last drive for the Jets, when it mattered the most, they could not adjust. I don't know if they couldn't adjust or they just didn't adjust. I don't know which it is. 
But part of that has to fall on the shoulders of Leslie Frazier, for sure. For sure. Let's continue down what we were talking about with Josh Allen, though. This is, this is the, biggest, the biggest takeaway from these interceptions yesterday is how detrimental they wound up being to the ultimate result. You might not think about it at the time, especially the first one because of how early in the game it was, but think about how big of a difference that would have made if they would have gotten at least a field goal on that drive. So like I was talking about, the Jets kicker just pisses down his own leg and and accidentally squib kicks it, and the Bills started at the 45. Right out of the gate, Stephon Diggs makes Sauce Gardner look like me out there playing corner. I couldn't believe it. And that was a big matchup being touted going into this one, right? Sauce Gardner, the best young corner in the league, potentially one of the best overall corners in the league going against Stephon Diggs. Everyone was excited to see how that was going to play out in the first offensive snap of the game. Stephon Diggs makes his legs look like spaghetti, torches him down the field. Josh Allen hits him in stride and boom, there's the Bills setting up shop to score an early touchdown less than a minute into this one. So right out of the gate, you're feeling confident because the Jets are already crapping themselves and the Bills are taking full advantage. But the ultimate, the ultimate theme of the game would play itself out right here in this first drive. Two plays later, you're, you, you saw from Josh Allen one of the worst interceptions you'll see. He's rolling right, and he's got nobody near him pressuring him. He's got all the time in the world. He's rolling right, and we all know with Josh Allen's scrambling ability, no one was going to no get near him the way that that play was being folded out. You have Dawson Knox making his way to the sideline, and it's just him in the vicinity as far as Bill's receivers are concerned. There's no one else, so it's clearly going to Knox. Now, the Jets defender is also right in plain view. It would be impossible for Josh Allen to have not seen him. He was right in front of Knox. It wasn't like there was a big crowd over there. It was Knox and the D-back for the Jets. That was it. Knox, the D-back, and then Josh Allen with a as better as good of a view as anybody had in that entire stadium of what was transpiring on the field and he throws a little lob like you would throw to your to your little nephew or niece who's an infant and you're playing catch with a foam ball there was nothing on it it was short thrown and I looked at that throw and I thought to myself even if a Jets even if the Jets D-back wasn't there it was the ball was still going to hit Dawson Knox's feet it was never going to make his way to him and it was a short little lob right into the defender that didn't just come out of thin air. He didn't make an amazing play diving off out of the screen to, to intercept it or come off the uh, out of the back of the end zone, pass Knox and intercept it. He was there the entire time. The throw made no sense. I mean, it just made no sense. And the way Josh Allen has been playing throughout the year here, just categorically MVP caliber football, the best in the league. What was that? And it's, and it's, it it happened twice last week too. That was incredibly concerning to me. He comes out of the gate with a dime to digs. They're right there. They're about to score. And it wasn't like he tried to make a play like he did last week on third down, forcing the ball like we've seen in years past. We weren't accustomed to seeing that anymore, but last week, both interceptions came on third down in in an area where Josh Allen was clearly just trying to make a play that wasn't there in order to extend the drive. This play, it was second down. He wasn't forcing anything. There wasn't a crowd of people. He wasn't trying to fire it into the end zone like he did to Gabe Davis last week where that ball was intercepted. 
it was as plain a, a plain as plain as day. He could have either have ran it, lobbed it over the top to Knox, and in my opinion, there there was just nothing there to begin with. Anyways, I don't know uh, if he should have just thrown it away, ran it, whatever. But the throw to Knox was just not there. And to add insult to injury, it was lobbed. It was five miles an hour, and it was right in the hands of the Jets' D-back. And you look back at that game, a three-point outing, the Bills are guaranteed three points at least. And it's becoming almost concerning now, their inability to get in the end zone when they get down near the goal line. I saw a stat earlier on Twitter from Warren Sharp. The Bills have one of the worst touchdown execution offenses in the league when they get down near the five-yard line. They score a touchdown on 25% of their visits. And Josh Allen, coming into this year, was known as the guy who never throws an interception in the red zone. He now has three of them this year. Just incredibly uncharacteristic. And now he has two games back-to-back where he throws one. And last week, it's easier to write off because they already had the lead and the way that things were going in that game, you just kind of poo-poo it away. But yesterday, the opening drive, momentum is already completely on your side. That errant kick by the Jets... And then Stephon Diggs burning Sauce Gardner. Josh Allen hits him in stride. Beautiful pass. Completely negated. Very easily could have gotten a touchdown in that drive. But if things completely hit the fan, they're guaranteed three points. And right there would have been maybe the difference in the entire game. And then later on, the most untimely interception you could have had, really. And not only that, but it was arguably a worse throw than that one that I was just speaking on. And that was about as bad as it gets. The Jets were moving the ball on this Bills D. And they were in scoring territory. They were guaranteed at least a field goal. And they were moving the ball on the ground at will like they had been the majority of the day. The Bills defense had not really made a signature play all game. They had yet to force a turnover. And they had also not gotten to Zach Wilson yet. They couldn't get any pressure on him. Another reason to tip your cap to Zach Wilson. He got the ball out of his hands lightning quick yesterday. You could tell that was a point of emphasis. The longer he holds on to it, the more likely he is to make a mistake or get sacked, especially with the Bills defense being as good as they are getting pressure on the quarterback. They weren't able to get any pressure for the most part yesterday. They finally do. Von Miller makes the play of the game up until that point. He comes around the left edge. Zach Wilson doesn't see him strip sack massive play because the jets were guaranteed points on that drive massive. So what does the bills offense do when they get the ball back? First snap sack one of five for the day. Now, of course that's not on Josh Allen entirely. The offensive line was doing him no favors yesterday, five sacks allowed. Of course, credit to the Jets D. They are one of the best Ds in the league. I know it's tough to wrap your head around, but it's the truth. But five sacks, that one being incredibly untimely. So that's the first down of that series. The second snap, Josh Allen throws his second interception of the game, and it's just, I mean, I I have no words for it. Go back and watch it if 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 you've forgotten about it by now. I have no words. He's got a clean pocket for the most part. He's got plenty of time to throw the ball. He's going through his reads. He's clearly got enough vision to see what's kind of unfolding in front of him. And there's nobody in the vicinity. I'm assuming, and this is how bad of of an interception it was. 
I have to assume who I think the ball was being thrown to. I think the ball was being targeted to Gabe Davis. The problem is Gabe Davis was not even within five yards where that ball wound up. Sauce Gardner with the interception. If you go back and watch the pick, it literally looks like he was the intended target. Sauce Gardner. He's just standing there on an island by himself, and I don't even think he could believe the ball got to him when it did. It just, I, I really don't, I'm, I'm, I'm just so, you can tell, right? I'm, I'm literally at a loss for words. I was dumbfounded last week when he threw those two picks because it just did not seem like something that we could expect from Josh Allen up until that point. I was even more dumbfounded to see the, the pick uh, in the first quarter yesterday because of how the game started. And I'm like, no way he's doing this again. No way. And then finally, all game, the Bills D really hasn't made a signature play. They finally make the play of the game. Von Miller, that's why you brought him onto this team to make game-altering plays. He does just that. And two snaps later, you throw a gimme interception to Sauce Gardner and to add insult to injury, it gave the Jets the ball basically in, in the red zone right off the interception. And the Jets would go on to score a touchdown there. And really, that's your game. Now, you look at the body of work yesterday. <laughs> look, he had an incredible 36-yard touchdown run. He had almost 100 yards on the ground. Uh, there, was some, there was some passes in that game that were elite. Of course, the ones that we expect from Josh Allen, there were balls dropped. I'm looking at you, Gabe Davis, two massive drop balls from Gabe Davis. But there was also several plays yesterday that really had you scratching your head. And I know it looks like Stephon Diggs had a great game yesterday, but half of his yards came on the first play of the game and he was targeted 10 times yesterday. He caught five balls. So the problem I have with that as well, by the way, because, you know, Josh Allen needs some help as well, you know? And this is the problem with the Bills a lot of the, a lot of the time. It comes down to him, and when I say him, Josh Allen, it comes down to him having to be magical every snap, it seems, for this offense to click. Because you can't rely on the run game. Clearly, the offensive coordinator and Ken Dorsey and this coaching staff doesn't. They gave him the ball 12 times yesterday. So clearly, they don't value it. Clearly, they have no faith in it. So what does that tell you? Their only faith, their only hope on offense is for Josh Allen to play at an MVP level. And I've told you on this show a million times, you cannot expect Josh Allen to play at that level every snap of every game week in and week out. And this is kind of, the, this is kind of rounding back to how I opened this portion of the show up. Yes, Josh Allen is allowed to have bad moments. These, in, these moments in particular of second half last week and, and yesterday, the two interceptions, they were really, really bad. Two things can be the same at once. Those were really bad plays. But they don't happen as often as, as, as the majority of other teams have to deal with. Yes, two straight games of really Odd play from Josh Allen. Head-scratching type plays. I have no answer for it. I really don't. I really don't. But this is also a guy that this team would be, and, and, and you'll see it. I hope to God we don't. I, I hope to God we don't. 
But if, God forbid, this UCL injury winds up being something where Allen has to miss time, you will – and I don't think you need to see it on display in order to know. But if it winds up being the reality, it winds up being the reality. You will see on full display the shell of itself this Bills offense will be without Josh Allen out there if it winds up getting to that point. I mean, it it, – well, I don't even know what (laughs) – I'm sick thinking about it. I do not even want to think about it until it's a reality because that makes me sick. The game yesterday, yes, a couple of god-awful picks. Last week, a couple of god-awful picks. But, hey, with Josh Allen, man, (laughs) you're still going to be in the game no matter what. And guess what? Despite those two god-awful picks, and this is to the crowd of people, there's multiple crowds of fans, right? There's crowds of fans who are negative about everything. There's crowds of fans who are positive about everything. And then there's people like me who try to be somewhat in the middle there and look at it from both sides. So this one goes out to everybody here. Yes. Josh Allen, two horrendous picks yesterday, but what does he do? Right? What does he do? The bills defense collapses on the jets final drive and the jets run the ball down their throat all the way down the field. Zach Wilson, an incredible play on third and five to get the first down. They kill all the bills timeouts. They kill the two minute warning and they leave the Bills stranded with the need to go the distance to get at bare minimum a field goal to force overtime without any timeouts. So what happens? The first snap of that drive, an absolute laser bullet. Couldn't have thrown it better if, I, I don't even know. I mean, if you were to put a bucket where, where Stefan Diggs' hands were on the sidelines on that throw, Josh Allen would have put it in that bucket and disintegrated a hole through it. It was, it was an absolute textbook, perfect sideline throw. And then of course it was an even better textbook sideline catch by Stefan Diggs. Unbelievable grab had to jump up for it, barely grabs it. And then has the wherewithal to get his two feet in bounds An incredible play by the two leaders of that offense flag on the field. Now, I watched it back a few times. It was a holding call on Deion Dawkins. I don't know, man. Was it? I don't know. It was called. I think the problem is uh, he landed on the guy he was blocking. To me, it looked like a classic pancake block. I know it's been a long time since I've played football, but I used to remember getting praise for putting a guy on his ass when you were blocking him on the offensive line. But now it seems like anytime you make a play where it looks like you, you, you just bury someone to the floor, you get a flag called. So I'm not necessarily sure if that was a holding or not, but what does it matter? It was called. But what I'm saying here is Josh Allen, if that, if that holding call isn't, you know, if it isn't thrown, they're, they're, either, they're either tying the game or at the very least giving Bass a chance. Maybe they go down to win it. Because that grab from Stephon Diggs would have put them at about the 45-yard line with still a minute and a half to go with the clock stop, having Stephon Diggs get out of bounds. The whole entire ending of that game would have been completely different. But you move on, right? You move on. They have to start over the drive at first and 20. And... They wind up getting the majority of the yards back. Josh Allen, a good read to Gabriel Davis, finally getting him involved 
which that's a whole other thing that I want to touch on a bit before the end of the, of the night here. But they get the ball to Gabe Davis, and he gains 18 of the 20 yards back. So now it's second and two. They're pretty much back to where they started. They negated the holding call. Another, another lapse in protection by this Bills line yesterday. The fifth sack of the game. And this is really where Josh Allen's injury happened. That's where Josh Allen's injury happened. Now, nobody's to blame on that. Sacks happen. I mean, no, nobody's to blame. It just sucks to know that had that holding call not have been called, right? Josh Allen probably never gets injured, and the Bills probably win the game. It's amazing how one play makes that big of a difference in football, but we all know it does. I mean, really think about that. If, if the holding call on, on, on uh, Dawkins never gets called, the Bills probably win, and Josh Allen never has to go through that play where he gets his elbow banged up. But it happens, and uh, he gets sacked, and it's a strip sack, and thank God, uh, I forget who, but a Bills, ha- a, a Bills lineman was there to recover it. All right, so you're sc- now you're basically like, it's, it's Chuck and Duck time. It's Chuck and Duck time. So the next snap, the Bills get under center, and you can tell this is where Josh Allen's arm was a bit messed up. So you thought, so you thought. He puts it on the floor to Gabe Davis. He had him open. Uh, it would have been a first down or near to it, but it was on the floor. Um, okay, right? Now, now it's, okay, fourth down, what do you got? Um, now, there's a lot to dissect on this particular play. So let's go through all of it. It's fourth and 21. And you all know by now it's starting to settle in. God damn it. Or, you know, gosh darn it. I'm working on that, by the way. The GDs. Um, how about this? Son of a bitch, the Bills are gonna, son of a bitch, the Bills are gonna lose this one. I think after the holding call on Dawkins, that son of a bitch type moment was settling in. But it's really hitting you in the face now that it's fourth and twenty-one. All right. If anybody can do it, it's Josh Allen. Let's see what he got. Let's see what you got. Here's the snap, evades pressure, does what only Josh Allen and a few other guys in this league can do. He, he, he gets out of the pocket, creates more space for himself, and off of his back foot, with what we would go to find out to be a bum, a bum elbow, throws the longest air yard pass in the NFL this entire season, a 70-yard bomb through the air 70 air yards Mike Florio PFT earlier today tweeted out that that was the longest throw through the air this entire season and not only was it the longest throw through the air the entire season it was also once again in a bucket and it was dropped now a lot to go through here first of all let's talk about that throw it gave him as good a chance as they were going to have that, that, that entire, it, it was as good a chance as they were going to have to win the game right there, that play. Because they had no timeouts. They had to get 21 yards. If they do get the 21 yards in the middle of the field, they're going to have to run the ball all the way up to that 20 plus yards that they just gained. The clock's ticking and it's really getting into, into a real tough situation here. So in Allen's line of thought, it's all right, let's just try to get into field goal territory here because, uh, This is pretty much the last chance we're going to have to do so, or one of. And I mean, mean, what more could you ask? Off of his back foot, uh, bum elbow, and he throws the longest longest air yard pass of the year, and it was a dime. 
it was a dime. So you, you, like I said, this goes out to the entirety of, of different types of Bills fans, the, the, the haters, the way too positive people, and the people down the middle. You got a little bit of everything yesterday. But what Josh Allen did on that drive gave the Bills a chance to win. And it was negated by a hold from Deion Dawkins, whether it was actually a hold or not, it was called. And it was negated by what I think to be two things here. I think it's two things. A drop from Gabe Davis and good and good defense from Sauce Gardner. Now, a lot of you right there are going to say, oh, shut the hell up, Bob. It was DPI. You've watched as much football as I have by now through the years, and you know that the flags stay in the pockets in moments like that. The refs will throw a flag on a play like that all game long until it gets down to a play like we witnessed. A game-altering final play of the game. They're not going to call it. They're just not going to do it. The flags stay in the pockets in, game, in moments like that. It's almost inevitable. Was it DPI? Maybe. The problem here, <laughs> what the hell is actually DPI in this league? Nobody knows. The refs don't even know. You don't know. I don't know. All 32 head coaches and GMs don't know. Every player in this league doesn't know. Nobody has, has a clue. One ref might have thought that was DPI. The other might not. There is no black and white definitive answer as to what actually constitutes a flag being put on the ground for defensive pass interference. My argument to those who thought it was DPI and it should have been thrown, well, if you're going to be reliant on the refs throwing a flag against the New York Jets for the Bills to beat them, then you've already, you've already lost the argument, in my opinion. If you are reliant on a flag being tossed on the ground on a, on a ticky-tack play, it wasn't like Sauce Gardner threw him to the ground. It wasn't like he was pulling on his face mask or his jersey. He, was, he didn't look back at the ball. That's the biggest argument. That's the biggest argument. Okay, yep, you didn't. You're right. And maybe that constitutes being uh, having a flag thrown. And I, like I just got through saying, hey, there's a ref out there who probably would have thrown it, but it didn't happen yesterday. But my point is, if you, if that's the one play you're going to go to after that game yesterday and say, oh, where's the flag? Bills would have won. Well, you, you, you're losing me on that argument. Maybe you'll get other people with it. There's plenty of people out there who, who think that way, not me. My mind does not go there because my mind makes me believe that it never should have came down to a play where there needed to be a flag called for the Bills to win. You can't have it. Some things you can have both. Some things you can argue and, and have two things be true. I do that a lot on here where I, I talk about things that I think happen where two things can be true. But there's one particular um, example where I don't think two things can be true. You can't be out there screaming that the Bills are the best team in the league and that they're head and shoulders above everybody else and they're the most dominant team in the league. You can't be spewing that out while also spewing out that the Bills got boned losing to the Jets because of a non-call. It can't be both ways because if the Bills are that good and if they would have played that good, it never would have come down to that moment. The other thing is whether or not it was a, a DPI or not, if you do look close enough, and I hate to be this guy, but it's the truth, Gabe Davis did extend his arm. It just goes back to the point of what's offensive pass interference, what's defensive pass interference. I don't know. If you watch the Sunday night game last night, 
Uh, Travis Kelsey absolutely mauled the guy in front of him, and they called it defensive pass interference. So nobody knows for sure. It's complete BS. The whole thing, the, the pass interference is the biggest. It, it, uh, <laughs> let me clock myself here. Pass interference is the biggest load of horse shit in all of professional professional sports. There is no particular call, whether it's called or not called, that can affect a game more than that particular penalty. There's not a sport in existence that can be altered that dramatically the way a non-call or a call for defensive pass interference can with the NFL. And the, and the NFL has plenty of these. It's not just pass interference. It's roughing the passer. We've seen some awful, God-awful pass interference calls. It's holding. We just saw it yesterday. Did Deion Dawkins really hold that guy? I don't know. Does that type of play not happen every single snap? It does. And if, and if back to my original point is the truth, if you're going to keep the flag in your pocket on a ticky-tack defensive pass interference type call, then keep your hand in your pocket on a ticky-tack hold call. You can't just decide whenever you feel like it's, it's okay to throw a flag on an iffy call on one particular type of play and not the other. There's no consistency. There is none. And the problem is there really isn't any way for there to be consistency. The way that this game is played, there's holding on every, on every single play. They decide to call it whenever they see fit. And the problem I have with that is uh, J-Dub coming in here saying my face is bright red. Uh, I do have a little bit of rosacea, that's for sure. I also am getting very fired up. And... You can't see it right now, but I have like four industrial lights in my studio that shine down on me. So that really plays a factor. But I would have to say it's more so for how fired up I'm being. But back to my point. It's not like Deion Dawkins got burnt on the play and grabbed the defender as he's running away from him and swung him around and did a, did a ballet move with him with his jersey. That wasn't it. So it wasn't a blatant hold. And if you go back and look at it, there really is no indication that it is a blatant hole, but they called it. Okay, okay. But if you go to the, 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 the play we're talking about right now, the throw to Gabe Davis, there's an indication that it's DPI because Sauce Gardner never looks back. There's an indication that it's offensive pass interference on Gabe Davis because he st- extends his arm. They don't call either one. So the whole thing, I guess, is, is how come one is subjective but is called and the other ones aren't? And the reality of the situation is there is absolutely no way to have a legitimate reason behind most calls. It's just the way the game's played. How do you not hold in the trenches? If you're a D-back, how do you not get in the face of the, of the wide receiver and, and make a play? I mean, it's incredible. How do you even play D-back in this league anymore? I have no idea. If you want my honest opinion, it looked like pretty good defense to me. It did. It did. But if you also want to go by the, te- by the rule book, I, I was under the impression that if you didn't look back at the ball, that's pass interference. But, hey, what does the rule book even matter anymore? Because they don't seem to follow it. There doesn't even seem to be a textbook definition for any of this. And even if it was called or it wasn't called and, and somebody got absolutely, you know, boned on it, what's the best you're going to get out of that? What's the best you're going to get out of that? An apology from the NFL officiating Twitter account? That won't change the outcome of the game. But you want to know what the reality of the situation is? Gabe Davis dropped that ball. Pass interference or not, the ball's in his his chest. 
Now, I'm sitting here and I'm not overly pissed at Gabe Davis. Why? That's an incredibly tough play to make. It's an incredibly tough play. And I know the argument is, oh, he's an NFL wide receiver, Z-Bot. He's got to catch it. It touched his, his, his chest. Well, if it was that easy, then every single throw that is, that is tossed off the hands of a quarterback every week would be caught, wouldn't it? It's not that easy. That was a 70-yard ball with Sauce Gardner in his grill, and he didn't come up with it. Now, it doesn't help that Gabe Davis has not been playing very well at all. I'm, I'm, I'm very overwhelmed. I'm very underwhelmed, rather, with, with Gabe Davis recently. I don't know if it's the lack of targets. He only had five yesterday. I don't know if it's the drops. He had two pretty bad ones yesterday, that one included. Um, the problem I'm having with Gabe Davis recently, it's boom or bust. You're either getting a massive deep ball touchdown or you're getting a whole lot of nothing. And you're noticing now, and this is kind of becoming a bit scary here. With, with a lack of run game outside of Josh Allen, it's basically Stephon Diggs and uh, what else? And I think that that's led to the Bills' inability to score points the last couple of games in the second half. Three points in the second half last week, three points in the second half on Sunday. The Bills had an opportunity. There was 14 or so minutes left in the second half where that game was either tied or they were down by just three. And they didn't score once. They didn't score again. You can, you can argue to your blue in the face about what could have happened on that final drive like we have been the last 20 minutes here. But the reality of the situation is the Bills had an entire fourth quarter to make something happen, and they just did not do it. They didn't do it on offense. They didn't do it on defense. When it mattered the most, the defense folded. And when it mattered the most on offense, just didn't get the job done either. But that particular throw, yeah, it was an incredible throw by Josh Allen. Yeah, it might have been defensive pass interference. Yeah, it might have been offensive pass interference. And yeah, Gabe Davis could have caught it. But, I mean, you go back and look, I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know. I mean, even if that was Stephon Diggs, I don't know if he catches that ball either. I, I just don't. That isn't even my biggest issue with Gabe Davis from that game, though. It's, it's, it, there's a lot of things. I don't even know how much of it is exactly his fault because he's not getting, uh, you know, nearly enough targets, in my opinion. Um, but it's also the fact that there's, there's a drop problem all of a sudden. And the other thing, too, is when they do give him, get him involved, it doesn't seem to be uh, in a rhythmic, um, effective way. It's either they get him the ball deep, which, I mean, that doesn't happen every series. It might happen once a game. I think teams are starting to realize now, if you take Gabe Davis away and you force them to throw the ball to, to Stephon Diggs the whole game, it's kind of like what the Rams are doing with Cooper Cup. If you look at Cooper Cup's numbers, typically every week they're, they're pretty high, but the Rams aren't winning games. It's because Cooper Cup's the only, the only outlet that, that that Rams team has. The Rams can't run the ball, similar to the Bills, and they don't have anybody else to throw the ball to other than Cooper Cup. And I really thought Gabe Davis was going to emerge, but I'm not exactly sure what's going on. There's a few things going on right now with this past game that doesn't make sense to me. That being one of them, where is Khalil Shakir? It's kind of like with James Cook. What's the plan here? 
Because, you know, you don't have Cole Beasley anymore. And that's starting to really show its, its effect on the team. They do not have an adequate solution at slot right now. And I don't know if it's because they're just, they're just avoiding it or they're not, they're, not, um, they're not valuing it enough and therefore they're, they're just not looking towards it, like with Isaiah McKenzie or uh, you know, getting Khalil Shakir involved or whatever else, Gabe Davis more. Um, they don't really seem to have much in the slot recently at all. It just seems to be Gabe Davis, or excuse me, Stephon Diggs or Buss. And yesterday, that was exactly what it was. I mean, he accounted for nearly half their throwing yards. Finished with 93. The problem, though, is he had 10 targets. He only caught five balls. And of those 93 yards, 40-plus of them came on that opening throw. So outside of the first first snap of the game, there wasn't a whole lot going on through the air at all. And you couple that with the inability to run out with your backs, then how do you, there's nothing there. And that's becoming a bit of a concern. And, you know, I was of the camp of uh, thinking that OBJ was kind of a luxury. I'm starting to think the way that the last couple of games have gone on offense, I'm starting to think it's more of a necessity. Because they just do not seem to have a, a, a second target outside of Diggs right now. The other thing, too, is, you know, Dawson Knox is barely, is barely targeted. He's barely involved anymore. It just seems like outside of Stephon Diggs, where's the offense? The offense is either Diggs makes a play or Josh Allen scrambles out of the pocket and runs for a first down or a touchdown. That's the offense right now. There's nothing to rely on from the backs, and there's nothing to rely on through the air other than Stephon Diggs. And if we were to talk about this with any other team, putting your bias aside, you would think that that's, pretty, that's a pretty big problem, right? Well, that's kind of the reality right now. And you got a team coming in this week with Minnesota who's got Justin Jefferson, one of the best wide receivers in the league, a newly added piece in TJ Hawkinson, who's one of the better young uh, tight ends in the league, and then Dalvin Cook, who... Better than what the Bills got going on at running back right now. He's had several marquee games this season. This is going to be a really tough game this coming weekend. A really tough game. When you hear about the Minnesota Vikings, a lot of times you're hearing fraudulent, right? The fact that they're 7-1, and one, it's fraudulent. They haven't looked nearly as good as 7-1. and one. Well, they've won six straight games. Their last loss was in week two. And I don't know, you know, I, I understand it. I, I, I think that style points matters to some degree in this league. You know how hard it is to win six straight games? Despite how poor they've looked at times throughout this stretch, they've still found a way to win. This is going to be an incredibly tough game this coming week. And to kind of get back to the theme of the, to the, uh, the, theme of the, the show here, where the question's posed on the thumbnail of the episode. Is it time to hit the panic button? I think you could argue both sides. Let me talk about the part of me right now that wants to hit the panic button. First of all, the AFC standings. Let's start in the East. You win that game against Kansas City and you go into the bye with a game and a half lead on everybody. 
And you see that the Jets lose, they lose Brees Hall, they lose Elijah Vera Tucker. And the way that they had been winning games, you're thinking to yourself, well, their run game's gone. There's no way they're going to be able to score and win. You write them off. Miami had been looking like they were on a downward trend since we had saw them. We wrote them off a bit, I think. And then New England, I don't know what to make of New England, truly. I don't know if anybody does. Every week, they seem to be a different team. What team are you going to get? The team yesterday that just utterly dominated the Colts? I mean, I understand they're in utter disarray. Starting a rookie quarterback that probably has no means to be starting. Just fired Frank Reich today. But they kicked the living shit out of him. Regardless of how these teams are winning or, or what, they're, you know, what they're doing on the field, the fact of the matter is, the Bills are currently the leader in the AFC East only because they're the only team of the four that have had their bye already. That's the only reason the Bills are winning the East right now. The Bills are 6-2. and two, The Jets are 6-3. and three, The Dolphins are 6-3. and three, And the Patriots are 5-4. and four. And the only reason right now the Jets and the Dolphins are behind the Bills in the standings is because the Bills are the only team of the three to have had their bye. The Jets and the Dolphins at this current moment hold the head-to-head tiebreaker. And when you're considering hitting the panic button, think about this. The Bills got a game coming up this week after two pretty... His poor performances where they're playing a seven and one team who has just found a way to win every week. The Jets or the Patriots, one of one of them is guaranteed a victory this coming weekend. They play each other. One of them is guaranteed a victory. They move up in the standings. And then the Dolphins play the Browns. You don't think they're beating the Browns? No, look, I'm not. Look, at Steve's coming here. You're assuming the Bills will lose an additional game. I'm painting the picture here as to how close things really are. Because the way that things have been going, right? I'm just talking about hypotheticals here. But the way things are going this coming weekend, the Bills have a, t- a game against a 7-1 and team while they're playing their worst football of the year. And the Dolphins, the way that things are going right now, the way they're playing offense, and the Browns, the way that things have been going for them outside of that Bengals game, most competent football fans are penciling in the Dolphins for a W there, right? And of course, based on yesterday, we know anything can happen, believe me. But if things go the way that they should, right, the Dolphins should beat the Browns, and then you have the Jets or the Patriots who are guaranteed to win unless they tie, right? I see that in the comments. Yeah, that's possible. But I'm not, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that that doesn't happen, but maybe it does. Just saying things are way tighter than you would have ever have imagined. And within three weeks, what felt like a comfortable lead is all of a sudden not is, is anything but. And then overall in the AFC, of the seven playoff teams, the Bills are still on top because they hold the tiebreaker with Kansas City, who's also 6-2. and two. Which, by the way, man, that would have been nice to see Tennessee hold on to that one last night. Oh, that would have been nice. And excuse me, you are right. Thank you for pointing that out, by the way. Jack coming in here. Jets are on a bye. Yes. Thank you for that. 
I'm looking at their next game, which is against the Patriots. So my apologies. You are absolutely correct on that. The Jets are on a bye this week, but their next game out is against the Patriots. So one of those guys has to wind up walking away with a, a W there. Um, and then, of course, the Patriots are. Well, so it's, all, it's the same theme then because the Patriots are also on a bye. So it's, it's the same. It's the moral of the story is the same because both those teams' next games is against each other. Um, but uh, yeah, you look, at, you look at the AFC overall here. The Bills are still currently number one. And I see a lot of people coming in here uh, throughout the show, like Bills still number one, Bills still number one. Yeah, by a, by a, by a thread, by a thread. They're tied with the Chiefs right now at six and two. They're number one currently because of that tiebreaker. And then right below the Chiefs are the two teams the Bills still have to play again in this division. Luckily at home. And they're right there, man. The Jets and the Dolphins, six and three. And then you got the Ravens and the Titans, as well as the Chargers kind of rounding things out there. But it's just crazy how a game yesterday where you're double-digit favorites, where you're supposed to win it, how much different things would be today if the Bills were seven and one, the Jets were five and four. Things would feel a lot better today. That was a really bad loss. And I know a lot of people are equating that loss to, to that of the Jacksonville game last year. Think about how much that loss last year cost the Bills. It cost them hold, home field advantage potentially against the Chiefs. Cost them, in my opinion, it really wound up costing them at the, at the end of the year. And that was a non-divisional game. This, to me, is, 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 it could wind up looming even larger. The nice thing is, though, the Bills still control their own destiny. They're in first place today. They can be in first place at the end of the year if they, you know, if they see, if they see to it. Because nobody can get in the way of that but themselves. But to me, the reason why you might have your hand ho- hovering over the panic button is because all of a sudden now you got Josh Allen, whose health is kind of weighing in the balance. You got a 7-1 and one team coming to town this coming week and you blinked and all of a sudden the, the the conference and division standings have immeasurably tightened up in the blink of an eye. Now, is it time to full-fledged smack down that panic button? No. Because to those points today, yes, the Bills are six and two. They are still number one. They still have one of the best records in the league. And you look around this entire league and every team for the most part has had a horrendous game. I mean, you look at what the Indianapolis Colts are. How the hell did the the Kansas City Chiefs lose that game? How did they lose to the Indianapolis Colts? I will never for the life of me understand. I won't. So it happens. Chiefs did not look all that good yesterday. They had to go to overtime with a Titans team that couldn't get a first down in the second half and couldn't complete a ball to a wide receiver. And by the way, yeah, Steve Rose coming in here, not to mention you had Malik Malik Willis playing in his second ever start. So, you know, no one has ran away with anything. I think the biggest, I think the biggest heartbreaker here is the Bills just felt so much better than everybody. And they had proved it week after week after week. And all of a sudden, ever since the bye, they have kind of proven that they are not head and shoulders above anybody else in this league. And they are just one of the better teams among the playoff pack. 
It'd be different if yesterday was just a one-off and they didn't look like that in the second half against Green Bay and they found a way to get things going yesterday at some point, but they didn't. You have to take it for what it was. It was it was three straight halves of really bad football. Inability to score, inability to move the ball, inability to run the ball beyond Josh Allen, inability to stop the run. It, it, it happened for three straight halves. So post by. You cannot, you cannot rest on the laurels of what we had saw pre-buy. You cannot anoint the Bills into being the best team in the league because of what we saw pre-buy. In this league, you are only as good as your next at bat. Nobody cares about what you did yesterday. Yesterday in this situation being pre-buy. Our sample size post-buy in a schedule that we thought looked very favorable for the Bills they edge one out against the Packers team who lost at they, they lost to the Detroit Lions yesterday. I'm not discrediting the win. Hey, a win's a win. It's more so than the Bills could say uh, after the game yesterday against the Jets. A win is a win. But damn, man, Aaron Rodgers threw three interceptions yesterday to a Detroit Lions team who was damn near the worst defense defense in the entire league. They scored nine points. And they finally got some competition yesterday against a really good defense and a team who could also run the ball. I mean, that was the difference too, right? The Jets' defense is a lot better than the Packers have been this year. And that wound up being a marginal difference and ultimately a difference in the outcome. So you can decide right now whether you want to completely hit the panic button. I would understand you. I would understand if you would. I mean, there's definitely plenty of reason to want to do that right now the way things have been the last couple of weeks. Being fully transparent with it, where I'm at right now, my hand is over the panic button. If it's a button like you see in the movies where let's, let's go like uh, the button in Deal or No Deal, right? In Deal or No Deal, if you used to watch that show, there's a glass case over the button. You open up the glass case and then you hit the button to accept the deal. Throughout the first six weeks, the glass case was locked on top of that panic button. You didn't even look at it. You didn't even know it existed. In my humble opinion, over the last two games, I have opened up the glass box and I'm looking at the panic button. I'm not about to hit it yet. I'm not, I haven't hit it yet. But the glass box that I didn't know existed a couple of weeks ago, it, it's, in, it's in plain view right now. You can write a hell of a lot of these wrongs if you go out and snap a six-game win streak for the Minnesota Vikings this coming week. It's not going to be an easy task. They got a good run game. Kirk Cousins at the 1 o'clock slot is no joke. The majority of us only know uh, Kirk Cousins for his primetime games because that's the time that we usually watch him, and we all know how bad he is uh, in those slots. But, hey, Kirk Cousins in the 1 o'clock slot, no joke. I mean, you've seen him recently. He's on the plane, shirtless, wearing everybody's chains, dancing. Those guys are riding high right now, man. Seven and one. I don't care how they're getting it done, how ugly it is, how close it is. Six straight wins. Their only loss of the year being the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. This is a huge game this coming week. And I just pray to God that Josh Allen's healthy enough to play in it. And beyond that, I'm just praying to God that Josh Allen's healthy enough to, to get back to, to the Josh Allen that we know and love the rest of the year because, and this is where it gets kind of, it's honestly gets sad for me. I mean, I, I, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, man. If not this year, then when? 
If not this year, then when? This is the best roster that this Bills team has ever had in my entire life. This is the best quarterback this Bills team has ever had in my entire life. This is the only time a quarterback has even been close to MVP caliber, let alone leading the betting odds to win it. The best offense I've ever seen in my life, arguably one of the best defenses, and not to mention it's also the weakest that the rest of the league has been. So if not now, then when? And it gets sad to know that the potential of Josh Allen being hurt, I mean, that it would derail everything. But I, I haven't talked about it all that much tonight because why would I speculate? The only time I've talked about it was with the thigh doc who knows way more than I do. So I'm not going to speculate until, uh, until we have a concrete uh, diagnosis and a concrete roadmap as to what's going on there. But even the, the, the remote thought of, of that being a reality makes me sick to my stomach. But big game this week. You really can get back on track. A lot of these things can be erased if you go out and beat a team like the Minnesota Vikings. And I'm done, you know, I, 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 look, I, overlooked, I overlooked the Jets, absolutely. Absolutely. I overlooked the hell out of those Jets. I gave them no respect. I gave the Jets absolutely no respect in the world. I gave the Packers zero respect, and it wound up panning out. There was no respect deserved by the Packers. They've lost five straight games. That's the worst streak of losses they've had since 2008, I believe. They're terrible. They are awful. God awful. And I gave them no respect. They didn't deserve any. The Jets deserved respect yesterday, and that's on me. The Jets deserved respect. I underestimated their ability to run the ball. Michael Carter is a good substitute for Brees Hall. He's not as good as Brees Hall, but that's still an adequate substitute. And they added James Robinson, and that seems to be working out pretty, you know, pretty decent as a substitute for Brees Hall. I underestimated this defense. I knew they were good. I didn't know they were that good. Or at least I didn't expect them to be that good in that spot. And I didn't respect the coaching nearly as much as I should. They came in with a game plan that they thought would work. They stuck to it, and it sure as hell did work. And what's crazy to me is the two losses this year for the Buffalo Bills are against Mike McDaniels, a first-year head coach, and Robert Sala, who many people kind of had you know, an incredible amount of questions on. Those are the Bills' two losses this year. Not to Andy Reid, not to Mike Vrabel, not to Sean McVay, not to Mike Tomlin. Robert Sala and Mike McDaniel, man. It's a wake-up call, that's for sure. But this Bills team controls their own destiny. As close as your hand is to that panic button, like I just got through saying, I'm not overlooking anybody anymore. I'm not letting the records be indicating of, of, of Bills being a cakewalk, uh, getting a cakewalk W. But if you take what the Bills have in front of them at face value, the Vikings coming up, it's a huge game. But based on face value, it's the toughest game they're going to have potentially the rest of the season. The Browns without Deshaun Watson. The Lions on Thanksgiving. A Patriots team that the last two times we've seen them, we have buried. This Jets team again at home. Do you lose to the Jets and Robert Sala and Zach Wilson twice? 
the Dolphins, all the crap that that fan base talked after that game, all the confidence that they found within themselves after beating a hobbled-up Bills that game at home the week after the Jets. Three straight divisional games in December to kick December off. But do you lose to the Dolphins again? You're really going to do that? You're going to lose to the Dolphins twice? You're going to get swept by Tua and Mike McDaniel? And then the Bears? A Bengals team that we have no idea if they're good or not. And then the Patriots again. So I just spewed that schedule out to you. If the Bills want to find a way to get back to what they were in the beginning of the season, I think you know how favorable that schedule looks. But if they want to continue to play like they have the last three halves, I don't think any of those games are a lock. Ball's in their court. We're just under two hours, and it was a great two hours. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys coming and spending uh, your Monday night with me after a loss. It's always fun to come on here and, and brag about the Bills and how good they are and hype up a victory. But it means a lot to have everybody get together after a loss. Everybody can air their grievances. Everybody can get stuff off their chest. But more importantly, you use this moment to do all that and then put this one in the rear view. It's over. Lost to the Jets. It sucks. Rear view. On to Minnesota. But for this week, the priority. Keep your prayers up for Josh Allen. Really hope we get some good news tomorrow. Hopefully by the time I talk to you next week, the Bills will have gotten the monkey off their back. They get a victory over Minnesota. And Josh Allen was a part of it and that he's healthy. Let's hope for it. I'll see you then next Monday for another edition of the Smoke Break. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Put this one in the rear view and keep Josh Allen in your thoughts, baby. Really hope he's all right. All right, guys. Talk soon, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.